This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. If you're in here, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel according to John. While you're turning there, let me remind you that we are nearing the end of our year some of you, uh, for the, some of you, that means that you are ki- taking stock of things, reviewing things like your year-end giving. I would just remind you that, that you can send checks, you can send things to the church up to the end of the year, but as soon as we get those things, it's easier for us to process them, and so the sooner, the better from our end. You can also give things as you leave on the way out. There's boxes at the back, or we have a secure online option. Uh, I want to thank those of you who consistently give to the work of ministry at Our Savior uh, this has been a great season for us, and, and one of the things is that we have been able to expand our ministry, been able to do some fun things because of consistent giving, but we really want to finish our year strong, and so I would ask you to prayerfully consider what you can do, what you've pledged to do, what you've set aside in your heart with joy to do in helping us to finish the year uh, on a really high note. We've got a lot of plans, we've got a lot of things that we want to do And we're looking forward to that. We voted as a membership on this previous Monday night to approve a 2023 budget with an increase of about 5.5%. And by God's grace, feel like that is uh, within our our ability as a church. Um, But it'll take all of us pulling together. So thank you for those of you that continue to give faithfully. Well, today is the third Sunday in Advent, and we are finally beginning our Advent Sermon Series. For years, uh, I've been saying this, I like Christmas, but I love Advent, and there's a little bit of a difference. Uh, Our culture has muddied the waters, we've kind of muddied that difference, but historically, Christians have seen Advent as much more than just the lead-up to Christmas. It's not the runway to the show. Advent is a season all its own. It it has a purpose. It has a rhythm. So listen to what uh, Episcopalian scholar Fleming Rutledge recently wrote of Advent. By the way, isn't that one of the better names you've ever heard in your life? Fleming Rutledge? This is what she wrote. Advent is not a season of darkness, but it is a season of light into the darkness. And I'm afraid that people are embracing Advent enthusiastically, but without depth, because they don't know it. And then she says, I'm not sure that Advent light is a good idea. Now what she means by that is Advent is meant to draw out of us a tension. The world can be a dark place. That's why Rutledge teaches people that celebrating Advent... When she says Advent begins in darkness, that's kind of keying into something that we all know to be true. Now think of many of the great songs that we sing during this time. They draw us into that tension. 
Long lay the world in what? Everything's good? Long lay the world? No, sin and error and the world is pining for something more. There's a thrill of hope. But what's rejoicing? A world that's all put together? No. A weary world rejoices. We know the world is weary. We know it's a weary place. We know it can be dark. It's not pessimistic to say that. It's realistic. And what Advent teaches us then is that into the darkness, light comes. And so this is a season that starts in darkness and light breaks in. And so at Advent, if you, if you want to know what is the point of Advent, the point is to answer this question. What hope is there? That's, that's the question that Advent begs. What hope is there? And it answers the question by saying, God will come. He's hope. But, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't answer that question in the way that you think it will, or most people think it will. God's plan is not simply to take the darkness away. It's actually to enter into the darkness. And to come to be with us in it. And then from the inside to be the light that pushes out the dark. And this morning... As we begin to work through the gospel according to John, that's where we're going to start. We start with some darkness. The gospels, in fact, because of when they came and when they're written, they all kind of start with darkness. And then we see light breaking in. Now, John's gospel is probably not the first place you think of at Christmas. That's probably Luke's gospel with Elizabeth and, and Mary and the, the no room at the inn and the, and the heavenly host proclaiming to the shepherds in the fields. You might think of Matthew's gospel, the lineage of Jesus. There's an angel that appears to, to Joseph and then the, the men who follow the star find Jesus. That's probably what you think of. You probably don't go to John's gospel. But after what we've just said about what Advent is and what our world was like, I think John's an incredible place to go and to begin for Advent. And it's precisely because it starts with darkness at the core of its message. And then it has light come into the darkness. So, so let's look at the beginning of this gospel. And we're going to draw some parallels and we're going to make some connections that, God, that John certainly wants us to make and he intends for us to make here. So if you have your Bible open, hope that you do. Follow along as I read from John 1. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to do the first five verses together this morning. Next week we'll continue on. And we'll actually continue this long past Advent. Uh, We're going to do this for much of 2023, but we're going to take some breaks in there as well. So it's not just going to be, you know, dozens of weeks on end. But we are going to, Lord willing, go straight through John's gospel. So let's look at John 1. Starting at verse 1, follow along as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. 
the light, just hear, hear this. This is why John's the best place to begin in Advent. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's an Advent passage. That's a Christmas passage. So the first thing I want for us to do in these verses is to kind of link a chain together. So remember the question is what hope do we have? What hope is there for us? And John's going to say, I've written this book to give you the answer. What hope for you, what hope is there for you in darkness, this book is the answer. Gospel literally means good news. But we kind of throw the word good around pretty casually, right? How are the tacos? Pretty good. Let's call what John is writing the ultimate news. It's good news, but it's the ultimate news. It's news of infinite goodness, unparalleled goodness. So just imagine him asking, what hope do we have? Just imagine asking him, what hope do we have? And him saying, oh, let me tell you of a hope. Oh, friend, let me tell you of a hope. And then these are the connections that he makes. So it all starts with the word. Not a word. Some other religions will send people to knock on your door and they will try to tell you that this is a word. But that's so mistaken. This is the word. And so we're asking what hope is there and John says there is word. The word. And then he says, your hope is knowing that word. Who the word is, is everything here. Because John says, know the word. And then we ask how. And John says, by finding your life in him. Our life is our everything. So that's the path we have laid out before us to walk. Is Here's the chain. Here's the connections. What's our hope? Knowing the word. How do we know him? Finding our life in him. And then the last thing, what happens when we do? What happens is we're no longer in darkness. We've been brought into light. So that's the hope that God sends to us. Just one more time, what's our hope? It's knowing the word. How do we know the word? We find our life in him. What happens when we do? We're no longer in darkness. We're in the light. That's what God sends to us. God sends the light to us. That's incredible. This is incredible. So let's look at this more. Let's just let's study together. Dive in together. So go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we're to know the Word, then we're asking, who is this Word? And according to John, he's three things. There's three things that the word is. First, he's eternal. In the beginning, that's what what it means, is in the beginning, he's eternal. Before time, he's there. Second, he's with God. Now, that, that Greek word for with is very common. It's also often translated to or toward. And that opens this up for us a little bit, to know that it's not just with, but it could be to or toward God. So the word is toward God. 
And before there was anything else, so he's eternal. So before there was anything else, before there was an earth or there was a sun or there was people, there was God. And God was three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And before those three persons created anything else, they were with each other. In fact, the primary relationship among the Godhead is that they are toward each other. Their primary love is toward each other. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are toward one another. They are for one another. They glorify each other. The Word was there for that. The Word has always been there for that. And then by this point, it's obvious. The third thing about the Word, it says it right there, and the Word was God. The Word is God. So the the first thing that we should be drawn to when the Bible says and talks about in the beginning is Genesis 1. If you want to turn there, you can, or you you can just listen. But Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning, and that's that's not a mistake that John uses the exact same phrase. He wants it to sound exactly like that. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now listen. And God said... Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. So here's what you have in Genesis 1. There's nothing. And then there's something. God created the heavens and the earth. So first, we start, there's no time. There's no space. There is just God. And then he begins to create. Created the heavens and the earth. But then there is some kind of chaos. And God brings order. It says there that the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit was hovering over the waters. And then God begins to separate things. And he begins to order things. And he begins to put things in the right place. So he creates light and separates it from darkness. And he does that by speaking. And everything that has ever come after that in the whole created order has been done by and through, and Colossians 1 would tell us for his word. So all that God does in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Everything after that is done by and through his word. So this word is of immense power and importance and prominence. John Calvin says that he is called the word because he is the expression of all that God is. The word is God's mind, his power, and his heart given spoken so that others might know him. And then you hear that that light and darkness language from John 1. If this word is the expression of all that God is, what's the first thing that he says? what's, What's the first thing that the word does? 
of all the things that he could have, he brings light. This is not a coincidence that John has just kind of picked up the metaphor of light into darkness. John is saying that what is happening here in John 1 is of such revolutionary, such substantial importance. It is like a new work of creation. This is not just something else that's happening. This is a recreation moment. It's like where God brought everything that is into existence, God is doing something that important again. And these verses here in John 1 tell us three more things about the word. Here the the word is introduced and it tells of his primacy. He is to be the first because he was there first. Now here's how high the stakes are. If Jesus wasn't in the beginning, if God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, isn't there in the beginning, he's not really God. That's how high the stakes are. If the Son is not there for eternity, he's not really God. If he's not there at the beginning, that he was something else that was created, and you'd have to naturally and logically conclude that the thing that created him, that's God. But he was there in the beginning. And because he was there first, he rightly needs to be first for us, to us. So the word is primary. Now, in verse 2, we see he is personal. Now, I've already cheated on this because I, I know where this is going. And so do you, I think. But if we're just reading this, sometimes you have to read the Bible and really enter into it like you're reading it for the first time and you'll notice all of these things. Sometimes it's good to have a wide biblical knowledge and sometimes it limits you because you think, well, I know how this goes and so you just kind of go quickly. If you're reading this for the very first time, you go, what, who is this word? The second thing that you're going to notice and it's going to be really, really jarring to you, <coughs> to you is the word is personal. He's personified. The word's a person. And because he's the person, that means he can be personally known. He, he was in the beginning. It just imagine if you didn't know and were being introduced to this for the first time, how much of a turn that would be for you. Wait, wait, what? This word who is like a, a new act of creation, who is something that's so powerful that's in there at the beginning, it's a he. So he can be known. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is an astonishing claim. Think about what it's saying. The word is such a force that you can't even imagine a world without him because it couldn't exist. All things were made through him. We'll do one more Greek word. All means all. Get that? You can't imagine a world because it couldn't exist that, wasn't, that was, wasn't made through him. That's how Colossians says that he's above all things and before all things. Because he is. Because he was. There are two key relationships at work with the word. 
The word is toward God and the world is through him. The word is toward God. The world is through the word. And we need to know this because any thought or any hint that we're God or we're in charge of the world needs to die if we're going to have any hope of being brought out of darkness and coming into light. Did you catch that? You have to know that you're not God and you're not in charge of the world. You can't know the light if you don't know those two things. If there's a possibility that you think that you're the one in charge or that you're the one doing the work, you can't come into the light. So if you want to know God, if you want to have your life in him, that's what you need to do first. Recognize that you're not God and you don't rule the world. He does. If you can't do that, you'll keep wandering around darkness. But if you can do that, you're getting ready for the light. And that leads us to verses four and five, where we see the power of the word. So the word, the word is primary, the word is personal, and the word is powerful. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Of course there's only life in him. After what's come before this, how could we conclude anything differently? He exists outside of this place. He created all of this. Of course the only way you're going to have life is through him. And now you, now you, you might tell me, I know lots of people who don't know Jesus. And they're all, you know, standing upright and they walk around and they have jobs and they have nice families and they laugh and they're loving toward other people. How are you going to tell me that they're not really alive? And I'm going to answer that by saying that's exactly what I'm telling you. Because when it comes to real life, true life, you can't understand it apart from the one who created it and who defines it and who now sustains it. So over 600 years before Jesus was born, one of the prophets, uh, his name is Isaiah, said that most people, he, he said this, this was long before John was, was alive. Isaiah said that most people are alive. They're upright. They're just walking around in darkness. And it's actually so dark that they don't even know they're in darkness. But then Isaiah says, but on some, God is going to show a great life. Remember it says here, in him was life and the life was the light of men. You, you can think that you have the whole world figured out. But without Jesus, you're like a blind person at night. You're in darkness, but you don't even know it. For any of us, our, our only hope is Christ. And there's now a turn that takes place in verse 5. Again, if you stop, if you read the Bible slowly, I'm all for reading your Bible in a year. I'm all for reading large chunks of Scripture. But I also want you to read the Bible slowly. You don't notice these things unless you really read it slowly. 
Verse 5 is the first time we get into the present tense in John's gospel. The light shines in the darkness. It's happening right now. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So put your place, put yourself in the place of a first century Israelite. Here's what first century Israelites were experiencing. God has been silent for 400 years. And if you know something of the history of the Israelites, you'll know that they were once a great nation, wealthy, the envy of the known world. But that didn't last very long for them. They were proud, they perverted justice, and they didn't take the holiness of God seriously. They worshipped other gods. They were idolatrous. And they didn't live according to God's will. And so God told them over and over again, if you don't repent, destruction will come to you. And finally it did. They were overrun by the Babylonians. And after the Babylonians came the Persians. And after the Persians came the Romans. Now, they were allowed to go back to their homeland eventually. They were taken in exile for a long time. They were allowed to go back to their homeland, and they were allowed to rebuild some of it. They even built themselves a new temple for worship. But their holy city, Jerusalem, was never the same. And the second temple was not nearly as grand as the first one that was ransacked by the Babylonians. And so... For 400 years, they haven't heard from God. For longer than that, even when they've been a little bit free, it's been nothing like their history. They have to be wondering, have we blown it? Has God left us? Were we so idolatrous? Were we so wicked? Did we... Go so far from him that we, he's abandoned us forever. They had to be asking that. Is he even our God anymore? They hadn't heard from him in hundreds of years, 400 years. Will he still take us as his people? Into that, John, really God, speaks into the present tense. Not the word was God, not the word was with God, not into the darkness shines light and the darkness has not overcome it. And so I would say the same thing is still presently true for us today. If you feel like you've blown it, if you've wondered, if you've gone too far from God. If you think, am I too into the darkness? Too far in? God can still shine light. The world can seem like a pretty dark place. The Israelites were a poor, oppressed, forgotten group of people and now they hear light has come and the darkness that surrounds us will not overcome it. And as dark and hopeless as things may seem in the world, 
God has not been defeated. He's shining. And even when darkness is present, it can't overcome God because Jesus came as light and life in the flesh. Sometimes I wonder, where is God in this dark world? And then I remember, he's here with us right now. Jesus was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and now God the Spirit has come here. He's with believers. If you're in Christ, the Spirit's in you. And he will be here until Christ comes again. And so our Advent season is looking around and saying, we are still in darkness. Lord, send again your light. So Advent is a season not just of looking backward, but is of looking forward and hoping for again the coming of the Christ. We're longing for the return of the Messiah here in this season. And then do you know what will happen When the Messiah comes again, the Bible says not, again, similar to what happened before, God came to be with the people. Do you know what happens when the Messiah comes again? God comes to be with us. Heaven is not a place that we are transported away to. Heaven is a place that descends here onto this earth. And so, where there is darkness now, heaven will push it out and only Will there be light? Revelation says that in heaven we have no need of even a sun because Christ is there and he is our light forever. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what our hope is. And John says that knowing that is true life. These themes of light and darkness, true life and, 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 and false life, these are woven throughout this gospel. And so it makes sense that he's introducing them immediately. These are the main themes of this book. When we're introduced to Jesus, when we're introduced to the word, it's it's God's self-expression made flesh. And so let me just ask two more questions. What is life in him? And what does it mean that he's our light? what, What is life in him? And what does it mean that he's our light? So later John will remember Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. For Jesus to be our life, we have to see him as the realization of life. Jesus was was fully God and fully man. And that means not that he has some kind of a split personality or some kind of even a dual essence. He was true God and true man. It's right and theologically true to say that nobody has ever been more human than Jesus. Nobody has ever been more fully human than Jesus Christ. And so when we ask, well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a person? How can I be the fullest person that God has created me to be? We have to begin to answer that. The only place that makes sense to begin is saying, well, what was Jesus like? And here in the first verse, it says that for all time, Jesus has been with, but but remember we said that that could also be toward God. You have to be turned toward God if you're going to have a true life. Being toward him means that you're truly living for him. It's easy for us, natural for us, to look around and live for what we can see here. 
Folks, there's a lot of good things in the world. Many of them are just fine. But unless we're first and foremost towards God, nothing else is going to ever feel quite right. And so you can look around the world. You can travel anywhere you want to go to look for it. If you're not looking for God, you won't find it no matter where you go. You can go deep into caves. You can go high up onto mountains. You can visit every continent there is. If you're not looking for God, you're not going to find it. But the great thing is you don't have to go any of those places. God is with you. He can always be found. Second, Jesus is our light in darkness. Again, John will later remember him saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. Now, this is similar to being Godward. But if Jesus is our light, we have to stop looking at other things to focus and to fulfill us. When you're in the dark, next time you're in the dark, watch some light be introduced. So I was in a theater yesterday afternoon, dark theater. Every time anybody got their phone out, three quarters of the heads in the room turned to see what's the light. Anytime somebody went out the back door, nine-tenths of the room whipped around and said, what's the light back there? What's happening back there? People look for light in darkness, but you have to know you're in darkness first to see it. Now, there's three admissions we need to make here. There's three just very simple admissions that we have to make if Jesus is to be the light in our darkness. Number one, we have to admit we're in darkness. You have to be able to admit I'm in the dark on my own. Number two, you have to admit I can't be my own light. I cannot be my own source of light. And then number three, Jesus is the only light of the world. I can't find another or different light within this world. If we want to see the darkness overcome, that's only going to finally and fully happen in Jesus. And this is what Advent teaches us. This is what Advent rehearses for us. It's why we don't celebrate Advent one time. We do this every year because of what this picture is for us. We need a reminder. I'm so prone to looking around the world for something else to be light for me. I need an annual reminder. I need more than that, but I need at least an annual reminder that I'm not my light. Nothing in this world is my light. Jesus is my light. <clears throat> and I need to be reminded that the world is, starts in darkness. And to some degree, that's where we are now. But it ends in light because of what has come into the world and Christ is coming again. We need this in Advent. Listen, I'll never be able to convince my family to do this. Uh, and, and I should fully admit, I love the decorations too. I'm going to tell you a quick decoration story. But do you know how certain Christians have decorated their homes? This, they've been doing this for centuries through Advent. As, as, as Advent has progressed, you know what Christians have done through centuries? They don't run the day after Thanksgiving, which is the right day, by the way. Those of you who put your tree up in like October are crazy. What Christians have done through centuries, though, is they haven't put all the decorations up in one fell swoop. I love the decorations. My family will never do this because we, we love the decorations. But you know what they've done? They've started slowly 
And each week of Advent, they've progressed. And so what Christians for centuries have done is they've started with maybe a a single candle or a few candles in the windows of their homes. Light has come into the darkness. And then the next week, they add a few more candles. They add a few more lights. They add a few more things. And by Christmas Eve, if you really want to get into it, you'll, you'll never convince your kids to do this. The tree goes up on Christmas Eve in, in historically liturgical traditions. Then you know how long it stays up? The 12 days of Christmas. There you go. There's your little lesson for the day in, in liturgy. But maybe you do that. Maybe you find a way in your household or as a family to say how. It doesn't have to be with lights. If you want to put the lights up, fine. I put the lights up the day after Christmas. They were up the day after Christmas. All of them. But how can you give yourself these reminders? How can you tell other people? Because this is what Christians would do. They would, they would slowly add to the light in and around their homes, not only to remind themselves, but as a testimony to the watching world, this is a house that knows the world is in darkness, but we see steadily the progression toward light approaching. And so we're anticipating light. We're entering into light. We see the light growing in the darkness. How can you do that? How can you at home enter into the darkness and see the light of Christ growing? And the question we're taking up again is what hope do we have? Friends, the answer is the word. And we know the word by finding our life in him, by seeing that we're in darkness and, that, and by proclaiming that he is our only source of light and hope. And let's end, let's end here. Whether or not you love this season, some of you do, others, maybe you don't. Maybe it's hard for you. Maybe it reminds you of a lot of difficulty from the past. Whether you love it or whether this is hard for you, Christ is still your light all the same. No matter how you're approaching these days, there's great hope for you in him because he's with you. The darkness may still be here, but he has come into it with you and one day he will finally come and push it all out. Let's pray together. Father, may we be a people whose hope is Christ, the light of life. And as we're in darkness, may we live toward you, who is the coming light. We pray in your name. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.